Father, we thank you for the year past. Um, 2021 was a good and hard year for many, and we just want to acknowledge and thank you for being good at all times in everything you've done. I know that we know and we confess and we acknowledge that you use everything to purify our faith, that you bring difficult things into life so that we might learn what it means to rely upon you. When all of our strength is gone, both emotional strength and physical strength, you show us that you're there all the time in every circumstance. So we thank you. We also look forward into a new year, Lord God, and just want to ask that you would take our lives, as meager and frail as they are, and our time and our service, and we want to just ask that you would take it up and you would multiply your kingdom grace um, in this next year. Lord, we want to serve you. We want to be faithful to you. We want to trust you through the highs and lows, not knowing what, what, um, what is before us. But we just want to trust that you will work through us. We pray for this church, that you would protect it, preserve it, that would be uh, humble as we walk into a new year and committed to uh, not only your son, but also to his, his great cause. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, I just, this is a start a little bit more on a spirit, um, on a somber note, maybe not somber, just serious. Um, I, that is, what I want to share with you today comes out of a pastoral concern that I think um, that we face as a congregation and Christians face uh, all across America. And that is, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, and by follower of Jesus, I want you to understand what I mean by that. Someone who believes that Jesus is who he said he is someone who believes that Jesus died, rose again, and is coming again for you, and also a Christian who believes in the teachings of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus like that, then your faith is out of alignment with our culture. That is to say, um, if you're going to be a Jesus follower, you're going to go against the grain. It's just simply true. You're like a salmon swimming upstream, and everybody's headed down. And it takes a lot of courage, a lot of trust, and community to walk that together. There was this article not too long ago um, in Time magazine, and uh, Time's kind of a, at least a centrist uh, magazine that wrote this, and this was five years ago. And the title of the, of the article was, Regular Christians Are No Longer Welcome in American Culture. This new vigorous sec secularism has catapulted mockery of Christianity and other forms of religious traditionalism into the mainstream as set a new low for what counts as civil criticism of people's most cherished beliefs. In some precincts, the faith of our fathers, quote unquote, is controversial as never before. And I think that's true. And I think as we head into a new year, we just need to acknowledge that if you're gonna be a follower of Jesus, you gotta you got go against the grain. And that's okay. Um, you're either going to be faithful to him or are you going to follow culture? I think along with that is the temptation to want to bend or compromise um, fidelity to Jesus' teachings for the sake of personal friendships. We all have friends and probably neighbors who live outside the spectrum of biblical morality. And we can still love them. We can still show kindness to them. We can still respect them as people created in the image of God. But the temptation is to allow that personal friendship and the desire to preserve it and not make waves to motivate compromise of Jesus' teachings. And we can't do that either. 
One, we have to love our neighbor as ourselves, regardless of how they live, without compromising fidelity to what Jesus actually taught. Otherwise, we are collapsing our doctrine for the sake of personal loyalty to a friendship or to a husband or to a wife or to a family member. And we can't do that either. We have to navigate that love for neighbor and fidelity of truth side by side without compromising either one. Which brings me to the text uh, that we're going to look at this, this morning, and it is the call to discipleship, the call to follow Jesus. And, and this is what Jesus demands of his followers. Just so we're all clear, including myself, this is what he demands of me as well as you. It's not just for pastors, not just for deacons and elders. This is for every person who wants to follow Christ. So this is what Jesus says first. And given the fact that we just, you know, came out of Christmas and, you know, when the angels came to the shepherds and said, you know, peace on earth and all that good stuff, like you realize that peace that Jesus came to give is not uh, peace with a rebellious world, a different kind of peace he offers. But in this text, he says, do not think, and he's warning he's preparing his disciples, and through this ancient text, he's preparing us for 2022. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to, to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, he's not speaking literally of a sword. This is a, this is a, a, a symbol of conflict. It's like, I've come to bring a sword. I've come to bring division. And the division is going to be painful. And it's going to fall even in the marrow of family relationships as to who, are, who you're going to follow. Who are you going to bring loyalty? This is a loyalty text. And he breaks down what he means by this along three lines in the verses that follow. The first one has to do with loyalty or allegiance. That is, he demands, Jesus demands supreme loyalty to himself. It's pretty clear that that's what's in view here in verse 35. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Now, let me tell you what Jesus does not mean in saying this. He does not mean that we're supposed to make enemies of our neighbors, uh, treat them as enemies. Um, or we're supposed to go on some kind of a holy jihad, Christian jihad, and, you know, uh, see those around us as hostile enemies. That's not, not what he's saying. It's, that goes against the example that Jesus gave us in his own life and also explicit teachings. No, the, the point is that they're going to be your enemies because of them, not because of you. That is to say, because of your devotion to Jesus, your devotion to his teachings, they're going to set themselves against you, not you against them. Even in the final hours of Jesus' life, even to his own executioners, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. He always loved his enemies. To the very end, we're not making ourselves enemies. The world will make itself our enemies in response to our devotion to Jesus, his life, and his teachings. And that was explicit, wasn't it? In his, in his own teachings, he said, love your enemies. They're supposed to be a constant loving and doing good and showing kindness to people who don't, who don't like you. So we never take off the mantle of loving those around us. But by nature of our loyalty to Jesus, his kingship, and his teachings, the world will not like us. And we shouldn't be surprised. 
because the flow is going in the opposite direction. And that's more true now than ever before. So we have to prepare ourselves to think, where do my loyalties lie? And he uses the deepest familiar relationships to make the point. Father, son, mother, daughter. I love my boys with my whole heart. And I think they love me. <laughs> uh, mothers and daughters, just so deep. He's like, where do your loyalties lie? To even your familial relationship with your father or, or to me? I am blessed, and not only do I have a believing family, but my mother and father are believers too. And they share in my faith, they support my faith, they always have. And for that, I'm deeply grateful. If, if my parents were unbelievers and they slammed the door on my, my family and said, we don't want to have anything to do with you anymore because of your faith in Christ, that would devastate me. And yet Jesus is saying, hey, if you're devastated by it, guess what? That's what you need to do. Who do you offer your ultimate loyalty to? Now, I have had the um, gift or grace to be able to travel around the world, different places. And I have met young Muslim men, this is India, who heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and that God loves and sacrificed his own son to forgive them. And they came to Christ out of Islam. And because of that choice, because of that desire to surrender their lives to Jesus, they could never go home. Not because they didn't want to, but for fear of their own lives. In that case, they had a clear choice to make, and they chose Jesus, even above family. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. I can also imagine, and this isn't too far from reality, in this massively progressive secular society we live in, that for different reasons, that not religious reasons, but simply cultural or philosophical reasons, that you come to Christ and your family's going to say, yeah, that doesn't work for us. You can be almost anything in our culture right now, right? And I don't mean this to be a slam. I mean this to be serious. You can call yourself whatever, by whatever pronoun you wish in our culture, and you'll probably be celebrated for it. You can identify with a caterpillar or a cactus, and somebody will say, hey, that's, that's, that's your right. You just do you. But as soon as you say, guess what? I'm following Jesus. It's like a, like a needle over a record, although that's a little bit dated. It's like, wait, no, anything but that. That's the reality of the world in which we live. And so when Jesus, you know, prepares his disciples to follow him, he says, listen, I need you to understand something. That your decision to follow me, trust me, live for me, it's going to put you at odds with the world, even people in your own family. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? I'm asking you. Are we ready? Marching into 2022, not to be liked because of your faith. Where do your loyalties lie? He moves from loyalty to love. And they're related, obviously, to Jesus demands supreme love. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, again, what Jesus is not saying, he's not saying you're not supposed to love your mom and dad or that you're not supposed to love your son or daughter. We are. It's natural. It's good. It's wonderful. We're called to honor our father and mother. 
It's a question of who's first. Who gets first love? Now, in my family, we've tried to make it really clear, you know, so it's been four, four and a half, five months since we've seen our new uh, son-in-law and daughter there in Southern California, and this week we get to all get together in the same house. It's going to be wonderful, right? Uh, play games and do puzzles. I love, I love my kids. That's just my wife. But I've always been clear with my kids. I love mama more than you. She's number one place in this family, not you. I'll always choose her first. But there's still someone that I do love more. And only because God is good and gracious in my life can I actually even say that. It's not because I've mustered up some kind of abnormal love for Jesus. I just know in my heart that if I lost him, I'd lose everything. Is love Jesus above all else. To love him above all else. And the question then becomes for us, it's like, well, wait, how do I love Jesus that much? without trying to make it a work. And I think the answer to that is twofold. One is to recognize that the love that he's calling for here is a love that's produced by his own spirit. He puts his spirit into your heart and you see Jesus for who he is and you begin to love him above all else. But we're also told that one of the ways that the spirit does that is by showing us how much God loves us first. That our love for Jesus is a response to his love for us. That's the apostle John, who says, we love because there's a cause in there. He loved us first. The love of God is so stable, so overwhelming, so secure, so certain that it's worth everything for us. Unlike human love, right? Human love is unstable. It's uncertain. It's flimsy. That's, that's why we can't always count on it, which is why I hated, personally, I hated the date, dating phase, you know, asking somebody out, and unless, except when it was with Deanna. I like that part of the dating phase, but dating other people was horrible because, you know, you're always wondering, are they going to like me back, right? And I've told people, you know, falling in love or dating is like playing cards. You don't just throw your hand out there for them to see. It's like the first date, you say, I like you, I love you, I want to marry you and have kids with you. You don't say that on the first date because, one, you're going to scare them away, and two, you've just laid your heart out there, and now it might get trounced on if you're rejected and you walk away devastated. No, you play cards because human love is just un uncertain. So we careful. We lay it out there. Then if you realize, okay, I think this is stable, then you say, will you marry me after all the cards? Well, let me just tell you, God's love is not like that. And when God showed his love to us, he showed us his whole hand. He says, here it all is. And he showed it to us in offering his own son on the cross. There's no other greater expression of how much God loves us or how certain or stable that love is. And you know what he calls us to do in return? He says, I listen, I give it, showed you all my cards. Give me all yours. And you're just, the response, this is like, like conversion. It's like, all right, Lord, here's all my cards. I'm not holding anything back. Here are my failures, my embarrassments. Here are my... It's my family, here's my life, my tracker, my journey. I give it all to you because I trust in your love. When you know he loves you that much, when you can metabolize spiritually the love of God, he will become first in your life, period. So he calls for supreme loyalty to him. That's what he demands of his disciples. He gives us the strength to do it. 
He calls for supreme love. And then third, the supreme sacrifice. That too is really clear here. It says, whoever does not take up his cross, again, cross is an instrument of execution, of termination. So you got to carry an execution cross member. And follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Sometimes people think of the Christian life as tithing. That is like, all right, I'm going to give God 10% of my life. God doesn't want 10% of your life. He wants all of it. In fact, he demands all of it. So you have to picture yourself holding up in your hands your own soul and saying, God, it's all yours. Whatever you have of me, my future, my history, my service, it's all yours. My whole life, it's, it's, it's surrender to you. That's, that's the picture. It's like we completely surrender our lives to the Lord. That's what's demanded of us. Most of the apostles and many people in the subsequent centuries of church history um, physically offered their lives in service to Jesus. And many of us in this room will never be asked to do that. But in spirit, we have to surrender everything to him. It's yours. Do what you will with my life. That is the supreme surrender. And here's the irony. Is in doing that, and you do it in love. This is, a, this is a whoever loses his life for my sake. We do it because we love Jesus above all else. And we love our neighbors too. That as we do this, ironically enough, we experience life. We think in our culture that to have life means to take. Like if I just have a little bit more money, a little bit more property, a little bit nicer house or a faster car, I will live. And Jesus' point is it's exactly the opposite. You give to live. You don't take to live. You parents who gave gifts to your kids, you tell me, is it better to give or receive? It's way more fun to give, honestly. There's something that's joyful about giving to another person, and that's the, that's the concept. Amy Carmichael, a, a missionary in India, once said, and she understood sacrifice. I think she left Ireland to go live in India to bring the gospel to a bunch of orphans. She said this. She says, love to live and live to love. And what she meant by that is love to live. Love, by Christian definitions, is to sacrifice oneself for the sake of another. Love, that is you give yourself away, and guess what? You live. You live not only now, there's a sense of life in the giving of yourself, as Jesus showed us in the giving of his life, but then there's life future as well. So you could either take life, in which case you lose it, or you can give yourself and find it. So this next 2022, it's like, how are you going to give of yourself? How are you going to surrender yourself to the work of the Lord? And if you do, I just want to tell you, you're going to experience some wonderful things. You're going to experience what it means to, to have the joy of Jesus in your heart when you're willing to give yourself away like this. So here you have, in short, we're on the precipice of a brand new year. And Jesus lays out pretty clearly his demands that he has paid for with his own blood and given a spirit to practice supreme loyalty to him, supreme love to him, and the supreme sacrifice of just offering your life. 
Where are you at with the Lord as we enter this new year? Is this something you're willing to say, I'm not there yet? Or, you know what? I know I should be, and I want this to be a year of change. I see texts like this as a compass. We're not going to live this out perfectly, but I want to encourage you with the simple fact that the grace of Jesus is more than sufficient to cover our struggles. There are times we struggle with loyalty, times we struggle with love, times we struggle with the sacrifice. Jesus knows that. He paid for it in full for our struggles. But this does serve as a compass. And I hold up a text like this to my life, trying to, where's the needle headed? This is, this is north. And we want to be walking north. And when we find ourselves struggling, then we want to pull out that compass and go, wait, I need to be back on the straight and narrow, not the broad way that leads to destruction. So I simply want to end with this. As you make your way forward, and as you experience the flow of culture going against what you believe, are you going to remain true? You can expect, you can expect people not to like you, and you have to be okay with that if you're going to follow him. But in showing the world that he is more important than being liked by people, you show the world that he is, in fact, your treasure and worth living and worth dying for. So as we head into this New Year, Christian, I just want to be clear on what Jesus demands of us and has given us the grace to do as we make our way forward. So in response to this, I just simply want to ask if you just take a moment and just Ask the Lord. Maybe it's a confession. Lord, I, I'm, I'm not here, but I want to be. Um, maybe it's just a reaffirmation or resolution. Lord, I'm, 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 gonna, I'm willing to go against the grain because that's what you call of me. Will you take just a moment and just ask yourself how you will respond to what was just read this morning? And then I'll pray. Lord, we're thankful for the fact that you are patient, kind, merciful, and steadfast. And we count on your love to see us through, through all of our struggles and failures and our attempts to serve you the best that we can. We want to ask, Lord, that you would just purify your church, purify your people, allow us to have a heart that burns with passion for Jesus, um, a heart that's unwilling to compromise um, the teachings of Jesus for the sake of a friendship or our culture. We thank you that you have given your life for us. We thank you that you've bled and died for us. We just are grateful at your mercy and look forward, Lord, to the end of the journey when we get to see you face to face and hear those precious words, well done, good and faithful servant. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. <laughs>